Welcome to Deeper, a podcast by Wollongong Baptist Church. Join us as we take the plunge and dive deeper into God's Word, the Bible. Here, we'll unpack and examine further the Bible talks presented on Sundays across our three English-speaking services. Today, we'll be thinking through more from our latest instalment in our series from the Gospel of Luke as we consider what it looks like to be a radical disciple of Jesus. So, let's get right into it and dive deeper. everybody and welcome back to another episode of Deeper. Thank you so much for tuning in once again this week. My name is Grace Jones and joining me today is Ken Davies. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me back again. It's good to um, be with you. This is our first time this year. I think I was sick last time you were preaching so um, good to see you. It's good to see you as well. (laughs) Now you spoke on Sunday the 23rd of February. We were continuing on through our series Radical in the Gospel of Luke. You're looking at chapter 13 verses 18 through to 35 which had quite a lot of little mini sections within it yeah um can you just talk us through uh, a summary of what your talk was about and what you hoped uh, we'd walk away with what the main message was sure yeah it was different to the previous passages that we've looked at too which have been quite succinct mm, um, story and this combined a number of them together yeah we did that around this theme of the kingdom of god and so my my big question was uh have we accepted Jesus' offer to enter the kingdom of God? And so rather than a three-point sermon, there was four points, <laughs> a bonus one for this week, uh, looking first of all, what is the kingdom? It kind of is the background to the whole thing, so not looking at any particular verses, uh, but then just following the breakup of the passage, the projected growth of the kingdom, looking at these two little parables uh, that Jesus kind of just throws in there. What uh, were they? Can you remind us of the images used maybe? Yeah, so he talks about... Uh, yeast being mixed in with flour mm-hmm. uh, and then he talks about mustard, uh, mustard seed. seed which then grows up into being an enormous tree which uh, birds can can nest in mm-hmm. uh, and both of these being seemingly the major point that Jesus is making is that something starts off incredibly small uh, it looks as if it's not going to produce anything but the end result is magnificent mm. uh, and so Jesus just puts these two parallel parables out there both seemingly making the same point and he's made a statement saying that the kingdom's going to be great Mm -hmm. Um, that's then immediately followed up by a question of one of the people that's in the crowd Uh, doesn't say who it was uh, but they ask this question well uh, how many people are going to be saved is it only going to be a few Uh, seemingly contradicting what jesus has just said Uh, and so that's then looking at the third point the urgent need to enter the kingdom And Jesus, again, like he did a couple of weeks ago, or the passage that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, um, he makes this point that it's it's up to us not to look around at what others are doing and how they're responding. It's up to us to respond to the message that he's giving. Uh, And so he turns this question seemingly back on the person asking it and also the people who are there overhearing it. Uh, telling them that they need to make sure that they've responded appropriately, um, stop being interested in everyone else, uh, make sure that your your response is appropriate first. Uh, and so that, that section kind of finishes off, uh, and then there's this strange interaction with the Pharisees who 
seemingly throughout the gospel have been coming become increasingly his enemy mm. and are opposed to everything that he's doing yep. uh, but now they're looking out for him saying watch out Herod's going to kill you uh, you better get out of here uh, my take on it is that he's that the situation's being manipulated they're actually using it as another means of trying to get rid of Jesus uh, and Jesus actually again takes this situation which they've misunderstood turns it around to explain what's really going on here uh, I need to continue on to Jerusalem because this is the plan this is how I'm going to save this is how the kingdom is going to be established uh, and I know what you're going to do you're going to reject this you're going to uh, you're going to kill me uh, and that's what happens in Jerusalem all the time to the prophets mm. I'm just looking at the text again now and there seems to not be a huge response to that like do they do you think that they actually understood his predictions there um, no I don't kind of, I, yeah. I, I really do like in the end I think the final statement that Jesus is making is that they actually can't understand who he is the claims that he's made they're blind to mm-hmm. uh, not because he hasn't been clear enough he's been using images that they should have understood he's been using language that they could understand yeah. uh, but they're refusing they're stubborn uh, they're already opposed and they're not willing to accept the things that Jesus is saying um, and so often it's quite it's quite common for Luke to make a really uh, stark claim like this and for us to not see the response yeah and I think there's two things going on there one is is he's, he's going to go on and show the response in the sections that follow this mm-hmm. and so we'll be looking again at well are the Pharisees responding as they should what what are they doing with Jesus's claim but I think the other thing that he's doing is as a writer he's also intentionally leaving it open for the people who are initially hearing this read out for us now as we read it to actually insert ourselves into the story and ask the question how am i responding mm-hmm. uh, and i think that that's actually his intention he wants mm-hmm. us to be doing that mm-hmm. um well as you said you kind of um use the the language of the kingdom of god mm-hmm. that was the the theme the focus yep. what even is that yeah. um can you like reiterate and you did say this at the in the start of your talk yep. um, a bit of a big overview of the kingdom of god but i was wondering if maybe you could um reiterate that mm-hmm. um I think it's kind of a, a slippery concept. I know I've struggled to wrap my head around it. Um, I think maybe because it seems to come up in the New Testament, but not so much in the Old Testament. Yep. So it's this like new concept, but apparently it's been playing out this whole time and I haven't yeah. been aware of it as I've been reading. So can you help help me? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and you're spot on. The kingdom of God is one of these really loose terms. Mm-hmm. Um, that's used by different people in so many different ways Um, and I think we have to be really careful with it because the reality is if you put it if you do a search on your Bible software uh, kingdom of God as a title doesn't appear in the Old Testament at all the first Mm. time it it actually turns up in the Bible is in the Gospels Um, and so that almost says well does that mean that this is a new concept that Mm. the Jews would not have been familiar with And that's when uh, some authors have been particularly helpful. Um, Graham Goldsworthy is probably the most well-known writer on the topic. And he uses this whole term, the kingdom of God, as a theme around which to structure the whole of the the Bible, Old and New Testament. And what he helpfully does, uh, and those are the, the terms that I picked up, this is all about God's rule. When you think a kingdom, what is the kingdom? We lived in Thailand, the kingdom of Thailand. Well, 
It's a place where there's a king over, there's a king ruling, and he rules in a particular way. Um, as the king of Thailand, he doesn't make the rules. There's actually a government that does that. And so you could go through and actually think through, well, how are the rules being made? And so in the Old Testament, God's ruling in a number of different ways. Sometimes he rules directly by his word. Sometimes he has things written down or writes them down himself. Ten Commandments versus uh, the Torah. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes he rules through people. And so he can have a king or he can have a prophet or a priest. Uh, all of these are means by which God rules over his people. Um, but it also, it's not just how he rules, it's where he rules. Uh, and so, yes, he's the king over the whole universe and he's everywhere present. Uh, he's the one who made it all. And yet it seems that he picks out special places. There's a difference between Eden and the places around Eden. Yeah. Uh, there's a difference between the promised land and the countries around it. There's a difference between the temple and the city that surrounds the temple. And so even though God's everywhere, there seems to be special places where he's extra present or specially <laughs> present. We don't really know the terminology to use, um, but there's something special about those places. And you can call the place the kingdom of God. Um, but then you can talk about the people that are ruled over. You've got to have citizens of a kingdom. You can't have a place with a king and no one to rule over. It has to be the subjects of the kingdom. Uh, initially, it's Adam and Eve in the garden. Uh, it expands to be the family of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, becomes the nation of Israel. But then by the New Testament, we're already, even those categories are being expanded or re- uh, reconfigured mm -hmm. uh, there's new definitions of them because now no longer are you a part of the kingdom of God because you live in a certain country in Palestine uh, with a particular king ruling over you it's those things are all helpful in establishing what the kingdom of God is but what the kingdom of God is for us now is not is not identical to those things mm. and so Jesus in his description then of the kingdom of God when he uses those um, metaphors of it's it's or similes or whatever it's yep. like a mustard seed mm. or it's like yeast through a dough and it seems yep. inconsequential and could be overlooked but actually it's this expanding thing that's growing and is big and is powerful yeah, yeah. and so um are you saying then that jesus is taking that concept of where the kingdom of god once had been kind of you could pinpoint it to a specific yes. location or a specific group of people yep. it's it's now expanding and those parameters no longer exist yeah uh, and and i think we've got to read that in the context of what the people who are first listening to jesus are thinking as they're hearing him say these words um as i mentioned on on sunday um they're very tied up with this idea that in one sense they are the kingdom of god they're the, the, the citizens of the kingdom they're back in the promised land the kingdom of god mm. and yet there's two kings in place at the moment. There's God, the king overall, but then there's the Roman emperor, there's Herod as the king, there's Pilate. There's all of these other political powers that are actually day-to-day, -day, the ones ruling over them. Um, who are anti. And, and who, yeah, well, which king am I supposed to follow? Yeah. Um, and if I, if I pay my taxes, does that mean that I'm not submitting to my real king, mm -hmm. God? Um, and so their questions are, we might put them in the terms of theological, but for them they were really practical. They were, they were, should I pay my taxes or not? And if you're going to say, well, no, you've got to have God as your only king, well, that's a radical statement because it doesn't just have implications for 
the hereafter, it means that perhaps you're not going to pay your taxes to the the local Roman authority. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Jesus' words are are incredibly um, political. Um, they're they're requiring a change of thinking. Um, but as we as we delve into them even deeper, we'll see that he's taking categories and assumptions that the people would have been making about what does this mean and he's actually giving them completely new meanings um yeah which which is complicated yeah. and it seems to make the term even slipperier yeah um, i'm wondering like, like can we like try and pinpoint it even even more mm. so like okay if we had to say what is the kingdom of god now i mean i think i, I don't know graham goldsworthy super well but <laughs> Um, from what I know of, you know, the framework that he uses, it's God's people yep. in God's place under God's rule. Yep. That's that. Would that be like how we can kind of reduce it to something simple that we can grasp onto, or is that too um, elementary? No, I, I I don't think it is too elementary. It, it, it's a very helpful uh, a way of summarizing it because if we are God's people, um, we're only God's people because we're that in Jesus. Um, we're God's people in God's place. Well, where's his place now? It's no longer Jerusalem or the yeah. promised land. It's wherever he's placed us um, because all of the kingdoms of the world belong to him. Um, are we under his, under his rule? Well, hopefully, yes, as we're listening to what Jesus is saying, we're recognizing this as his statements about how we are to live in a way that's pleasing to God. And so we're submitting to the requirements that he's presenting to us and we're not just coming up with our own decisions, our own thinking about things. We're actually submitting to him. And so therefore we're living under God's rule. Um, but what it, what it helpfully clarifies is, is that we don't need to uh, go to the Holy Land in order to be a part of the kingdom. Uh, what's most important is that we're, um, we're living as God's people. We're doing the things that, that he's required of us. And we know that we're only capable of doing that because we're in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm. so what's clarified is this is not just about uh, me understanding a whole bunch of rules, living in a particular place. It's actually about me understanding the centrality of Jesus, submitting to him, recognizing that all of my ability to be in the kingdom is completely dependent upon him. Mm. Um, so you hear this term kind of thrown around in Christian circles a fair bit, I think. And it seems that perhaps um, our definitions are slippery or not mm. quite the same as each other. Yeah. I know I've definitely heard people talking about um, bringing the kingdom of God to earth. Yeah. Um, like they might say, I'm going to work and I'm bringing the kingdom of God there. And yeah. um, I'm bringing the kingdom of God to my neighbors. Mm-hmm. And I think they're kind of using it in a way. Um, what they really mean is I'm trying to like bring heaven down to earth or i'm trying to um redeem this space somehow um is that uh useful (laughs) um correct application of the term or is that are they onto something else there yeah i i think that i think the good thing that they're doing is they're recognizing this reality that um when adam and eve sinned and rebelled against god there's something about there's this alternate kingdom that's established and establishing the kingdom of God in contrast with the kingdom of the world is an ongoing reality. There's something different about those who actually live for God and live his ways. Um, I think the dangerous part of the terminology is that uh, it's so vague 
uh, it's syn- yes. it's jargon. Mm-hmm. Um, if the if they ask their friends or their workmates, uh, the people that they're supposedly bringing the kingdom of God to, what would their friends understand by this? They would be, I'm assuming most people would be completely bamboozled and say, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm. I haven't seen anything about an alternate king. We don't even have a king in Australia. Um, And so I think we've got to be really, really careful that what Jesus is saying here uh, is very clearly about rule, about authority, about people being in submission, about people not choosing their own ways, but submitting to God's ways. Uh, if If we're bringing to people that reality that they need to submit to Jesus, that their only way to salvation is to trust in what Jesus has done for them, then we are bringing the kingdom to earth. Mm -hmm. Um, But if we're just being a vague influence or Mm. somehow talking about Easter and how there's a different meaning to it, uh, and we're not being specific about the centrality of Jesus, then my guess is that we're probably using it more as jargon and a cover-up for making us feel good about ourselves and what we're doing. We're a mm. Christian influence rather than actually we're a, a proclaimer of Jesus mm. to a world that's actively opposed to him. Mm. That's really helpful. Thank you. Um, well, later on in the passage, um, Jesus' rebuke to his listeners is that um, he's, he's talking about how he, he longs to gather them mm. like a mother hen longs mm. to gather the chicks. And that, that imagery is so beautiful. Mm. Um, but then, yeah, he says, but you were not willing. Mm. Um, and there's just this harsh, <laughs> um, I guess, rebuke of the, of the hardness of hearts. Yeah. Um, and so I, I guess my next question is talking about our own hardness of heart. Like what should we do um, when we're actually aware of our own resistance to Jesus, of our own hardness of heart? Um, we're aware that we need to come to him, um, but we're actually not willing to yeah. do so or we sort of there's a there's a real barrier there yeah. um perhaps we've fallen into apathy or um just distraction um yeah. from different parts of our lives um how can we like will ourselves to be gathered to jesus um how can we preach the gospel to ourselves yeah yeah um it, it, it really is a fascinating image it seems to be as far as i'm aware it's the only uh, image like this that Jesus uses to refer to himself mm. that he's this this mother hen uh, looking after all of its little chicks that are in danger um, there's a psalm or something isn't there that has something about like gathering under wings yeah and some similar. people say that the spirit fluttering over the earth there's oh, something right. about that as well <laughs> okay um, I think this is really really specific yeah. that it's this is what I am like I'm mm-hmm. like a chicken that's that's looking after its its baby chicks mm. um, and, it, and it clearly shows the intense desire of Jesus that yeah. uh, if you ask him what does he want mm-hmm. uh, he wants his people to come back to him mm. he wants to protect them he wants to rescue them from the danger that they're not even aware that they're in yeah and there's something so beautiful about yeah. I think in the nurturing and the protecting of that image yeah I just always be like oh it's so like cuddly <laughs> yeah 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 it really is and it's, yeah. and it's the lovely Jesus it's yeah. that um, regardless of what I've done he's going to bring me back in mm-hmm. uh, and so it's like anybody can come um, no matter how far you've strayed he wants you back mm-hmm. and and so then the the response then at the end or the or the the barb in the end of it the sting in the tail is that that this is actually a rebuke mm. that this is what I want but 
this is your response to it is is that you refuse to come mm-hmm. uh, and he clearly is having a very strong go at the pharisees mm-hmm. for what they're doing with this message that he's bringing to them um, and it's an incredibly uh yeah, an incredibly strong warning to mm. turn. Um, he's still, I think, holding his arms out saying, come to me. Mm-hmm. I want you. I want you. I want you. Come back. Um, but he's also recognizing the reality is that in one sense, they're already too far gone. Right. They've already made their decision. They're stubbornly refusing to accept who he is. Mm. And he knows that this is what they're going to continue doing. And so I think we've got to be careful as we read this. Um, where We kind of want to, well, do I... Does that mean that Jesus is saying that I'm like the Pharisees and when, I, when I'm not immediately responsive to his command to repent that mm. I'm going to fall the same as they have? Um, I think there's two, there's two um, things that we've got to think through as we're, as we're approaching this. When we're confronted with something like this, the danger as Christians is that we've heard this before, we've heard the Gospels perhaps many, many times. We've probably heard uh, a number of sermons even on this passage alone. And so it could be very easy to just hear it and say, oh, yeah, I know Jesus is just saying this to the bad guys. Uh, None of this applies to me. He's talking to somebody else. Uh, And so there's no relevance. I don't have to listen to what he's saying here. I think as soon as we start doing that, we've got to stop and hear the message oh, wow, I'm actually doing the very thing that he's warning against. Um, Don't look at others. Look at yourself. Evaluate yourself. Ask the question, have I responded to the demand that Jesus is placing on me? Mm. Uh, And so if if I'm starting to think that way, then I think we need to take it as it is, the very strong warning, and to, to stop and reflect and say, why why do I assume this is for somebody else? Mm-hmm. Why don't I apply this direct to myself? I think the other thing that we can do, the other extreme that we can go to, is assume, oh, well, I'm so bad um, that Jesus' warning here is, is for people that aren't as bad as me, and I've gone too far already and there's no way that he can take me back. Like I'm, I'm beyond the stretch of his wings and so I'm mm. lost. And I think as soon as we start talking that way, uh, we've accepted um, Satan's lies that Jesus doesn't love us enough to bring us back. Mm. We're the one person that's done something that's too bad that he can't redeem. Mm-hmm. And so instead of hearing the warning... And responding to it by running to Jesus, where we're told that there's something about us that makes us beyond the possibility of saving and we turn away from Jesus and this pushes us further away. Mm. Uh, And so there's a big difference between condemnation and conviction. Mm. Uh, If we're condemned, it's Satan telling us that we're not good enough. We continue to trust in ourselves and our own ability to rescue the situation. And there's nothing we can do. We, We keep going further and further away from the only answer there is. If, on the other hand, we're convicted, uh, it's pointing us further towards Jesus and saying, yeah, you can't do anything, but look at what Jesus has done for you. Come to me. Uh, I want you back. And, and we then put out further trust in him. We, we recognize things that we're doing wrong that we do need to repent of and turn from uh, and trust again that Jesus has paid the price for those things as well. Mm. Okay. Um, I'm just thinking like of people who are perhaps in the middle ground of those two mm. extremes that you've that you've outlined there not um not necessarily um brushing themselves off as completely condemned but also not um not thinking that the passage isn't doesn't have anything to say to them somewhere Mm -hmm. in that middle ground of just um 
desiring to desire Jesus, mm-hmm. but n- but not <laughs> yeah. like feeling like I this is how I want to respond, but I I'm just not. <laughs> when I reflect on myself, I'm not where I want to be, um, and I I don't know how to get there. Sure. Yeah. What would you What would you say to that? I I in some sense I think that it's. Um, it's a fantastic symptom to have if there's a desire that someone's recognizing in themselves some kind of apathy or not enough uh, automatic longing for God. Mm. Um, then again, if that's driving us towards Jesus and saying, "I do want more," then that's incredibly positive. Mm-hmm. And so I think we've got to follow it, follow the lead, and say, "Okay, well, what kind of things can I do?" Uh, it may feel very clunky and I have, I, I'm making a, a timetable where I'm spending X amount of minutes reading my Bible and this many minutes praying and this many t- minutes spending time with a friend and it feels like I'm just timetabling something. Really unorganic. Yeah, and yeah. it just doesn't feel like, why isn't this natural? Like yeah. I, don't, I don't have to desi- like set aside time to to meet with my partner why do i have to do this with jesus um and 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 i think that we've just got to recognize the reality that that uh the nature of our relationship although there's a lot of similarities there's also a number of differences um you can't just sit down and have a chat with jesus with a two-way conversation uh we we don't talk about what did you think of that movie Uh, that's just (laughs) not the conversations that we have with jesus uh, and yet that idea of relationship, of intimacy, of all of those things yeah. um, uh, are the right and appropriate categories to be thinking about the relationship. Um, but how we go about it may look quite different. And, you, and it may be a matter of um, knowing that I need to pray and therefore setting aside time to pray and uh, the Puritans talked about praying until you feel like praying. Mm. Uh, and so you may not desire it at the beginning, but as you commit to it and you and you get the positive reinforcement because it actually does what it's intended to do, then it, it changes our attitude towards it. I, I, don't, I know that it's really hard to spend the time reading my Bible, but I'm going to commit to getting up that 15 minutes earlier to do it. Mm-hmm. And as I do it, it's like, oh, wow, I really enjoyed that. I found something out that I didn't know before. Yeah. And it just re- positive self reinforces. What's the role of like church and um, just Christian friends in that? Because that still requires some discipline, doesn't it? And yeah. so, some sort of up and go of some sort of revving on our part. Yeah. Um, what if you can't rev on your own? Like, what what role <laughs> what role do um, does the church play in in helping somebody in this sort of situation? Sure. Uh, well, clearly in other places in the gospel, Jesus will tell us that we're to bear one another's burdens. I don't, I don't think that's just the bad things. I think that's the reality that um, we'll all go through different uh, cycles, different feelings, different emotions at different times. Uh, and it's that intimacy, it's that sharing, uh, the willingness to care for one another that uh, somebody else will even be able to point out things that are that are in our blind spot. We're not even aware that we've lost some of that passion that we've had. Mm. But if if we've got friends that are close enough to us, they can point out and say, "Oh, Ken, you've you've lost some of that zeal that you used to have. What's going on? Mm-hmm. Is there something that's going taking place or not taking place that should be that's that's caused that?" Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, if we're allowing people that closeness of relationship. 
uh, then those kind of conversations are much more likely to take place. Mm. And we won't be doing it on our own. We'll have others walking the journey with us. And there's power in that community. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, some of all of this may be, um, yes, some people, I guess, might be thinking, well, if I'm struggling in this way, is my faith really real? Is mm. it is it actually authentic? Am I or am I just some kind of knockoff of yeah. like um, I think I'm putting my trust in Jesus, but then I'm I'm not actually willing to be gathered to Him. Yeah. Um, what um, what if I think I've been reconciled to God, but but I'm now worrying that actually He's going to turn me away? This passage talks about sure. um, there's a time where He will, yeah. where the the window of opportunity will end. Yeah. Um, yeah. Should I? How should I respond to that? Like, what should I be thinking there? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, again, I, I think that we've got to... Rec- the danger is to to write this off and, and go back to, like you said, that really soft, comforting picture of Jesus that is this gentle, always looking after mothering picture, uh, knowing that entry to the kingdom is by grace. Therefore, this is an option that's always going to be available to me. And we don't hear the, the sternness of the warning that this is available but there is a limited time you need to act now Um, and so if we're just putting something off because we've already decided we want to live life another way and jesus is my backup plan then take it as the strong warning that it is this is in line with the the warning passages in hebrews Um, don't muck around with this it's not it's not a game Uh, jesus is being incredibly serious Mm -hmm. uh, and we need to respond to him in light of that but at the same time I don't think that Jesus is um, saying here, unless you're not really sure that you're in, then you're not in. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, he's pointing out an arrogance of people that are assuming that they're in on the wrong criteria. They've mm-hmm. actually got the wrong basis of assurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he's not saying you're not allowed to have assurance. If you have assurance because you know that Jesus is the one who's paid the price for your entry you know that the only reason that you're allowed to be there is because of what Jesus has done for you, nothing in yourself, mm-hmm. then if you don't have assurance, that to me is a symptom that you actually have got some misunderstandings about how you're actually in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so assurance is not a bad symptom. Uh, it's what your assurance is placed in. Mm. Uh, and so people can have great confidence here. Um because they're not putting confidence in themselves, they're not putting confidence in their nationality, they're not putting confidence in in anything that they've done or are. They're putting their sole confidence in Jesus, mm. uh, and that's a place where we can have incredible assurance. Mm. Uh, so, what's the role of evangelism then in all of this? Um, I've, I've noticed that across the last few weeks, as we've been working through um, chapter thirteen, that we've seen Jesus direct attention back to each person's own status. Mm. There's sometimes where people are like worried about what's going on for other people, mm-hmm. and his responses to their questions um, is really focusing on making sure that we ourselves are right mm. with God, rather than worrying about what other people are up to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, are we supposed to just mind our own business and worry about ourselves, not really care about? where other people are at in their relationship with God or um, yeah, it just seems sort of curious that Jesus is talking about the expansion of the kingdom of God without really focusing on sharing the gospel. Yeah, it it is really weird. And and I, and I have to admit, I'm happy to admit that as I was preparing both the first sermon and the third sermon in the series, um, I was asking the question, is this me as a Westerner who's already naturally individualistic uh, reading into the passages this whole concept of 
Uh, this is about you doing business with God. Is mm. it's about me making sure that I've responded to what Jesus has said, and it's all about what I can do. Um, and and so in terms of our systematic theology and our complete understanding of the Bible. I think we've got to recognize that in these passages, Jesus is not telling us everything. Mm. Um, This is not talking about uh, God's sovereignty, the need for the Spirit to be at work in us in order for us to be able to respond, the fact that he knows uh, who are his before anybody responds. All of those kind of things Mm. uh, are a long distance in the background. Mm -hmm. But what Jesus is focusing on very clearly here. Uh, is that it's about us um, and our response. This is a decision that we make. Um, and and we find that very hard because we're, we're told, well, but, but God chooses and it's all about his sovereignty. We don't have the ability to choose. But unless we write off Jesus's language here completely and just turn it into nothing, um, he's very clearly showing us that we do need to respond. Mm. Um now, as we as we delve into that, we can recognize that as we're responding, we can look back on that in time and realize that the only reason we were able to respond was because the Spirit was at work. The only reason that we're convicted of our sin is not because we were amazing and we had these wonderful insights. It's because the Spirit revealed it to us and we were able to understand that yeah. we were sinners needing a Savior. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's right and biblical to talk about the response that's required of us this is not um, something that we can escape from in time and say well i can't be held responsible because it was all up to god Uh, here the pharisees are very clearly confronted with a a decision that they've got to make are you going to keep going the way you're going or are you going to acknowledge that i'm the king and likewise we have to be asking the same question Are, are we so committed to a particular way of living that we're going to not acknowledge who Jesus is or are we actually going to submit here and actually say, yeah, I I admit that I'm wrong Mm -hmm. uh, and turn from our wrong ways, make the choice to actually accept what Jesus has said here. Mm. Um, And so the take home from that question then is make sure that you're right with God. Yeah, like as I said, the the question that I framed the whole thing around was have we responded to Jesus' offer Mm -hmm. to be in the kingdom, Uh, not have... Has somebody else, has the person in deepest, darkest Africa, have I? Mm-hmm. Um, and, it's, and it is really weird because he's talking about kingdom growth mm-hmm. uh, and he's coming back to the one. And I, and I think it then fits in very neatly with the imagery that he chooses to use. Again, the mustard seed, um, the yeast, it's something very small. How is the kingdom going to grow? Well, it's going to grow little bit by little bit. Mm-hmm. And ultimately look back and go, wow, that's amazing. Look at how big it is. But it's because individuals chose to accept or were chosen to accept, depending on how you want to put the language. Um, but it will be one by one. And I, and I think in some sense we can, we can relate this to the, the, the imagery that's been used in the past uh, in, a, in an aeroplane. They give you the safety warning, put on your mask in the case of an accident first, then you can help others. And I think like that, Jesus is saying, make sure that you are in the kingdom. If you're on the fence or you're not really sure one way or the other, well, you can't actually help people into the kingdom. It's only by you having made certain that you are in the kingdom that you'll actually be able to help others into the kingdom. And so it's something that he's going to go on to talk about further later. Uh, but here you've got to get things in the right order. And that means us making sure of our own salvation. Mm. 
Cool. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Kim. We might leave it there. Until next time. No worries. Thanks for having me. You have been listening to Deeper by Wollongong Baptist Church. We'd love you to join us at any of our services this coming Sunday. For details and to hear further content, please head to our website at wollongongbaptist.org.